He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. To continue that over the next, you know, three to five years, acquisition has to start and become a part of that. If you want to keep that pace up, if you don't want to keep up a two or three X pace, then, you know, acquisition doesn't, doesn't need to be on the radar. You can keep going on that, on that organic growth rate, but also back to with that group structure, we've got our margin is, is, is vertically integrated, right? So all of those different services provide mean that we could be relatively cost-effective in each of them and build our margin as we go through the services. But it also means that we can cross-sell, which actually plays nicely into the acquisition model. So if you take our recent host, host simple acquisition, 120 managed properties in Liverpool, as soon as we bought that business in, they were using an external provider on interior design. So straight away, that bolts into our interior design business. So acquisition also makes sense that when we look at an acquisition, we're not just looking at an acquisition for purely what they do. We're looking at what other services we can bolt in from our, our group offerings that actually makes it more viable. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. All right, Nathan, welcome back. Round two, Minute with Minute. And I have some questions on the update features with the devices from Gen 2 to now Gen 3. Yeah, good question, Will. So first and foremost, the device is now weatherproof. So you can place it indoors or outdoors, which is great. It's the same device either way. So you can order as many devices as you need and decide where to place them later. When you're installing it in the mobile app, it's going to ask you if you're putting it indoors or outdoors. And then you just pick which one makes the most sense for your situation. Also, we've been able to build in a couple of things in this new unit that allow us to expand on the capabilities. So the big one being cigarette detection at the moment. I love it. All right, you heard it here first. Another minute with minute and now back to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this episode is about to be a little mind-blowing for you, for all of us <laughs> in the vacation rental space. I am here with Dale Smith, who is just an incredible entrepreneur in our industry. I actually didn't even get to like really know of you and everything that you've built until we met in Barcelona at Scale. And we were on stage with Steve Davis and talking about, you know, what the next five years of short-term rentals looks like. And man, to, to hear your story, I can see it playing a big role or at least you playing a big role in it. So Dale, before I butcher your introduction and everything <laughs> else, I would love to know where does everything start for you? And welcome to the show, cool. by the way. No, thanks. No, thank you for having me. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. So we, I mean, journey for me started back in 2017, which was when we we bought our first vacation rental, right? So prior to that, our background was in buy to let property, which, you know, in the US, I think you guys call like multifamily rentals. So that was where the the property bug started, if you like. I studied finance and marketing at uni, really enjoyed the sales and marketing side of things. So for me, the vacation rentals was putting those, the, the property piece and the sales and the marketing piece together. And that's what got me hooked. So with that first vacation rental in 2017, 
that obviously has evolved pretty quickly over the last five years. So we've gone from that one property to to over 900 that we now manage under our host and stay brand. So it's been pretty quick and exciting growth. And yeah, I, I'm just really passionate about the industry. I love what the industry's done the last sort of five years. We're on a great trajectory and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about what the future holds. I love it. And to dive in a little bit deeper beyond kind of what you've been doing in the short-term rental space, give us some context just growing up. Obviously, you know, zero to 900 properties under management is no joke. Like that's a, <laughs> it's a big deal, especially in Europe. I, I think, you know, you guys are making some waves as we just saw at the time of this recording. It's been, it's July 25th. And I saw yesterday or the day before July 24th, you guys announced an acquisition of another property management company out in, in England, I believe. And if not England, correct me. Yeah, no, that's right. In Liverpool in England. Yep. Okay. So, you know, you guys are, you have this incredible success and I want to know who was Dale, you know, growing up prior to all yep. of this was, was business always in the blood? Sports was definitely always in the blood. And I think businesses kind of come into it off the back of that. So, you know, growing up, I played football or soccer and I played for a team called Middlesbrough, who's a professional team. So I played in their, their junior academy from, from being eight to 13 years old. So football was like my life up until that point. I had no other aspirations apart from professional soccer player. That changed a bit when I was 13. I broke my leg. I had pretty bad break in a game that ended my football career. In the 12 months prior to that, I'd started to play quite a bit of golf. My family all play golf, also soccer family as well. So I'd started to get the golf bug a little bit. So thankfully I had, you know, I was able to transfer from soccer to golf and my golf escalated pretty quickly. I ended up playing international golf for, for England when I was 16. That enabled me to get a, a scholarship in the US. So I actually studied at the University of San Diego. So I did four years, lived the dream in San Diego, California for for four years, you know, perfect weather every day. I think I saw a week's worth of rain in four years. So did that and then finished university at, at USD in 2010, which my aspirations at that point in time were actually to stay in the US. I'd studied finance and marketing. So I really wanted to actually get into the financial services sector. That That's what I thought I wanted to do. Golf, although I enjoyed the golf, it was one for me where I didn't necessarily see that as my be all and end all and going down that route of you know, trying to make it pro and the two are pro, you know, there's quite a lot of sacrifice in that. And a lot of the guys who, who do that, that have succeeded, it's kind of all there, you know, they're destined for that. It's all they're ever going to do where for me, it was a big part of my life, but I also had other, other things and other aspirations and other things that I could do. So, so I came back to the UK in 2010, would love to have stayed in the US, but we all know recessionary time at that point was not the easiest in terms of being able to stay and get a job as a, an international student. So came back to the UK and then went into the motor industry. So my family background is actually automotive. So, so I'd never get into that industry, but I would do something different. But at that point in time, it was kind of a, a common thread for, for me and, and kind of following my dad a little bit. So got into the motor industry. Uh, and at that point in time, as I was working full time, my dad and I started investing in property together. So that's what got us started on that property journey. So really the first thing for me was probably buying around 2012, 2013. So a few years of building that buy to let multifamily portfolio before then moving into vacation rental full-time in, in 2017. But prior to that in the commercial sector, in the automotive, I ended up working for a company called Peter Vardy. 
Peter's father was one of the biggest automotive entrepreneurs in Europe. He built one of the biggest automotive retailers in Europe called Regvardi PLC. So I had a great mentor there and I progressed pretty well through that business. I started in the marketing department. I left the business in 2017 as commercial director. So there's loads of things that I learned from Peter really as a mentor that I now apply in, in our business on a daily basis and that have, you know, enabled and facilitated, you know, lots of the things we do today that I learned, you know, doing that job and, and kind of being given those opportunities and experiences that have really helped us grow what we've done in the last five years from a, a host and state wider group perspective as well. So hopefully that's a bit of a whistle stop to it. I love it. No, that's great. And it, it gives me a, a bunch of touch points to kind of hit along the way. So, you know, going into family business, you know, automotive and kind of following your dad, like you said, a little bit, what were you hesitant with that at all? Were you like, oh, I really want to do something, but just with the circumstances at, at, you know, at hand, you had to kind of go down that route? Yeah, it was kind of, you know, coming back in 2010, it was, it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to get into a sector that I already knew, right? I'd grown up around it. Like, so you, you naturally learn things during your childhood and listening to conversations. You know, I, I, my first job was being out on the forecourts, balancing cars and cleaning cars. So you've been around it. So you pick lots of different things up from it. So I, I never thought about really going into that industry because it was what my dad did. And, you know, I wanted to do something different. But it was an opportunity for me to get into an industry that I did know and actually progress pretty quickly, which gave me, you know, I, I had lots of really good earning potential as a, as a young guy, which then enabled me to do what we've done from a property point of view. So it was a great opportunity, although, you know, on paper, if you said to me, it, it certainly wasn't top of the list, let's say, let's say that. But, but yeah, I, I loved my time in the automotive industry and I still do. I still speak to lots of people in it. It's really fast paced industry, tight margins loads of great learning points that anyone wanting to grow a business or, you know, operate a business at scale, the automotive sector has got so many key learnings in it that if you can operate an automotive business, you can operate probably, you know, just about any business, I would say. I love that. And uh, touching into mentorship, you mentioned, you know, getting into getting mentored through that, that kind of shift in your career. And I always love looking back and reflecting on the moments where I, I had a really close mentor, mm. shout out to Mark Crawford, who really took me under his wing. I, I was not doing well as a young, as a young man. I made a lot of hard life choices and had to suffer the, the consequences of that. But being able to be kind of taken in like that and have that mentorship, obviously is probably a little bit different from everybody else's experience with mentorship and either mm. currently or in the past. But what was that mentorship like for you and how big of an impact has that had into what you have in your business today? Massive will, to be honest, you know, I've, I've got three people I would classify as like the key mentors to me, you know, in the past, but still are today as well. So my dad's massive from that point of view and my dad's still, although he's not as active day to day in our business now, you know, he is still my sounding board on a lot of things. We disagree on lots of things, but he's always my He's always my yardstick on reality. We have a conversation. I'll, I'll go away and think, right, he's not right on that bit, but that bit and that bit, he is right. So I need to, you know, I need to take action on that or I need to do something about that. So, you know, he is number one from that point of view. My, my college golf coach. So I was looking up to be coached by, by a guy called Tim Mickelson, which is Phil Mickelson's brother. Tim now caddies for Phil on tour has been with him for, for about four years, five years. I think he was, he was my college golf coach. We, we built a great relationship. I was a first international student. Tim had recruited in that USD golf program. So, you know, it was kind of a, 
a stepping stone for him and something new for him as well as for me at the same time. So, you know, we built a, a pretty strong bond on the golf front, but, you know, as friends and for him as a mentor to me, but also from a business point of view as well, he's always been involved, always been interested, sorry, from a business perspective. And Tim has been a big advocate and support of, of you know, of me and our business as well. And I continue to speak to Tim pretty much on a, a weekly, if not a weekly, and certainly a monthly basis. I was with him last week at the British Open and we spent a bit of time together before that as well. So he's been influential and continues to be. And then the third is Peter, who was my chief executive in the Peter Vardy business. But again, we still, we still speak on a regular basis, meet up each quarter, really just to talk out about our businesses. So from each of those different mentors, you know, I've had and, and still have today, every one of them brings a bit of a different perspective and, and different skill sets to it. And when you put all of that together, you know, I've been really lucky in terms of the people that I've, I've been able to lean upon for that, that guidance and that mentorship. But, you know, I can't stress enough how important it is to, to have those people. And I guess, you know, they're not, I've had people in the past where I've been kind of been assigned mentors or given mentors at a certain point in time, but for me, they serve maybe a certain purpose at a certain point. I think it's those people who are inspirational in your, your life as a whole that are the ones that are ultimately key. And you know, I could go on with other parts of family and friends that all play a role, but those three people have, have been instrumental so far and hopefully will continue to be. Well, it's difference between i think like the assigned mentor right and then the intentional mentor the one that kind of yeah. comes in and just doesn't it's not told to be there for you and be yeah. like oh i'm going to help you guide along like it just kind of happens right it just is yeah. it's intentional the relationship it starts on a different foot it feels more natural where they're showing kind of an, a little bit of vulnerability saying hey like here's a little bit about you know, what i've experienced let me pass this on to you and you get to kind of take that and process it how how you will and it, it's a it's a really interesting piece and just something I love I love talking about but with your business now and so going into the SDDE Smith group and host and stay give us a kind of a give us a high level overview because I want to dive in into like 2017 when you first started buying multifamily or I don't I forget what you labeled it yeah, but like bats, when you yeah. Start, yeah so when you started investing in properties to then now having this huge incredible portfolio I would love to, to just kind of hear out, like the high level view for the listeners and then we can unpack it from little pieces yeah, along the way. Yeah. yeah, completely. So, so 2017 was when we, we bought that first vacation rental and that was again by chance. So it was in our hometown place called Saltburn in North Yorkshire, right on the North Yorkshire coast in England. And really we, we bought that property because it needed significant refurbishment, but the location was fantastic. And at the time, we weren't buying it to be a vacation rental it, just because of its position and the fact that we're looking at it and thinking, right, if that was a multifamily property, are we really going to get as much revenue out of it as as what we feel like it deserves? So for me at the time, it was just a matter of, you know, using my kind of marketing knowledge and background and saying, right, well, actually, you know, can we get that up, throw that up on Airbnb and booking.com and start to to generate some bookings and and really see where we go with it. If it doesn't work, we can always then flip back to our standard buy to let slash multifamily model. But if it does work, does that unlock the door to, to a new path for us and of, of trying to generate higher revenues out of our portfolio? So that was, that was kind of the turning point for us. And at that time, there was a number of what I would call traditional vacation rental managers in the space that offered a, a certain element of solution on, on managing that vacation rental. And when I spoke to those guys that came out and saw the property, 
I was quite underwhelmed with what they provided as a service. So, you know, they would generate a booking and that booking got to the property that the, the kind of remit on that booking would then fall to us as the owners of the property to be the person that if the guest had an issue, they needed to ring us, they could, they wouldn't manage the housekeeping for me, but they could recommend someone and put me in touch with someone the same on the maintenance side of things. So it was a really disjointed process, but they also wanted to charge like 18 or 20% plus VAT for providing in my mind, what was the easiest part of the service, the most difficult part is right when that guest shows up and you got to then deliver an experience, make sure it's clean, make sure it's changed over and maintained. That's the hard work, right? So it felt like there was a gap in the market for a management product. So between 2017 and the end of 2018, we, we added another vacation rental property to our own, you know, owned portfolio. But then we started to manage other vacation rentals for friends of friends and also two clients who we actually came off a podcast that I did back in the early days off, off the back of that project. And we had two clients that came to us that said, look, we want to invest in vacation rental management in vacation rental properties, but we don't know where to start. Like they both actually were expats. One, I think both in Dubai at the time, actually an airline pilot and a, a military guy. So we, we facilitated that for them. We found them the property. We worked out what we thought the financials would be. We, we designed the interiors of the property. We refurbished it, we furnished it. And then we, you know, we put it on booking.com, put it on Airbnb and we charged a management fee for doing that. But we, you know, we managed all of it for them. So it was completely hands off for them. So that's what got started in terms of what our product is today. That kind of, that full hands off management piece, right? So any owners that come to us, if they want us to, if they don't want to get involved, they don't have to get involved. We will manage every single aspect they get their invoice and their statement at the month end and we disperse the funds to them. Like that's our perfect client from that point of view. So, you know, in the years preceding that, we we built up the group and the host and stay brand to be able to facilitate that at scale. So what we could do between myself, my mom, my dad and my sister five years ago, five years, yeah, five, six years ago, you know, we, we've scaled into, you know, multiple different brands, all delivering different parts of that process. So. December, 2018 is kind of the starting point for us when we said, right, let's create a brand, which was the, the birth of our horse and stay brand. Nine properties under management or seven under management too, that we owned. And that was us kind of saying, right, let's go after this. We think we've got something different. Let's try and build out that management portfolio, obviously with a focus in the North of England to begin with, but knowing over the longer term, we want to grow that solution out across you know, the rest of the UK. And now our perfect client ultimately is somebody where we can find the right property for them. We can do that due diligence. We can handle the legal process. We can do the interior design, the refurbishment, and then it passes to horse and stay them for the ongoing management. So if we take what is now the SDD, SDD Smith group, we are 12 customer facing brands, all that do a certain part of that process. So they're, they're all interlinked. They're all a certain part of that chain as that client passes through each of those different services. So they all sit with under the, under that group architecture, the business is all liaise with one another on it, but we've developed it that way. One, so that we can continue to scale the model, but also each of those brands has to stand on their own two feet as well. So if you take styled, which is our interior design business Styled delivers, you know, lots of projects for homeowners that have a vacation rental property that will end up on the host and stay portfolio. But we also have clients that, you know, will never be on host and stay and they might be using another agent. It might be a residential property. It might be a commercial property. 
you know, we're doing a, a commercial fit out project for Middlesbrough Football Club at the moment. We're doing a, a seven figure refurbishment of their entire hospitality floor. So, you know, that brand has evolved from providing the service for, you know, a small number of horse and stay owners several years ago into being, you know, business in its own right and standing on its own two feet and bringing clients into groups through that channel. So we're always looking to say, right, where is a client? What's an entry point into group for us? How do we get them on that journey? And then also wherever we've got exit points, because if we've got an exit point on the journey, then at some point in time, we need to plug that and bring that, that business in house. So, you know, as an example of that at the moment, we don't do mortgages. We don't do insurance. We use third party broker providers, but it makes sense. So we've got that captive market at a certain point in time that really should fit within group. If we're going to create this holistic, you know, one, one fits it, not one size fits all, but this kind of end to end solution. So a client can steer with our group all the way through the process. So that, that's how things have kind of evolved into this, you know, multi-branded wider group, but horse and stay in the 900 holiday homes that we currently have are kind of the epicenter of what the group's all about. The vast majority of stuff will evolve around us trying to provide that end-to-end -end service for that horse and stay client. There's so much to unpack and <laughs> you and I got to talk about this on our pre-chat a little while ago, but you know, building a business is hard. Building 12 businesses under one is <laughs> even harder. So yeah. I'm curious, how do you manage all of this? How, like, I know it started out five or six years ago with being a family thing. And I think when you start out, everyone can kind of do everything, right? Like everyone's yeah, yeah. kind of got their hand in the pie, but now you're at such a scale serving 900 homes, plus having the businesses be all standalone by themselves. Yeah. How, how is that possible? Like, I'm sure a listener could be like, holy crap. Like I don't, I can't even, you know, take vacation for myself after one day. So <laughs> I'm sure like, yeah. you know, this has just gotta be mind blowing for them. And totally. I, I suppose I've broken the rule of keeping the main thing, the main thing, but no, I love kind of, there's method in the madness, I suppose, Will, from it. And, that, and that's the thing with the vast majority of those businesses have evolved out of something we were doing in, in that host and stay business. So. I'll, I'll use the interior design example again. So at, at a certain point in time, myself and Rach, my wife, we were doing all of the interior design projects on the night, like knocking together, you know, Canva boards or PowerPoint boards, creating PDFs, send them to clients with lists of, you know, the items on them, adding a markup and a consultancy fee to that. So once that volume got too much for me, we, we recruited two people in interior designers who needed to do that part of the, the process. So that was a matter of recruiting in the right personnel developing a process around what we were already doing and then passing that part of the business to them to say, right, you know, you now need to deliver that. We were already doing it. So we didn't need to make that up. We'd already gone through the part of kind of making it up as we'd gone along. We then had a process that we could transfer to, to an, another a new colleague in the business to then create that department, if you like. And then ultimately once the volume picked up further from that point of view with those two designers, that's when we said, right, okay. Let's now spin this as an outward facing brand. So it's no longer a host and stay service for host and stay owners. We've got scale. We've got expertise now in doing it. Let's flip that to an outward facing brand and actually try and bring clients into group through that as a channel. And ultimately what we do now, you can apply that to, to each part of what we do. The same with the construction business we have, you know, again, a lot of owners that come on host and stay wanted refurbishments. My dad always ran that side of the business. My, one of our first employees was a guy called Callum. He learned with my dad in terms of the project management side of that, that kind of residential refurbishment. And then a, a good friend of mine, we brought in as managing director of the 
the commercial side of the business once we were ready to really scale that. And again, now Callum manages all of the residential. Gary runs that overall business. And we've also moved into, into commercial construction as well, because that's where Gary's background is. So most of what we do is evolved with one of the family members doing that job to a certain point, making sure we've got a process around it. We know what we're doing around it and then recruiting in somebody to then take that over from us and then, and then start to run with that. So up until the start of this year, so the beginning of 2023, you know, our, our kind of high level board was ultimately still really myself, my dad, and then Ben, who's my brother-in-law, who was finance director, now commercial director. That was, you know, kind of the senior people running the business. This year we brought external people plus promoted some people into other roles to really expand out that experience at board level so we can go on that next step of the journey. Because ultimately it's trying to create those different layers or, or create those those different ratios so that we can then we can then scale it out. Ultimately, I, I you know, I'm not going to say that I still run around like an idiot, right? Like I'm not, I'm definitely not out of that phase that I'm not doing anything, but I love it. That'll probably be always the case for me. I'll always run around like an idiot. There's always something else to do. There's always something not right that could be done better, et cetera, et cetera. That's what I'm, you know, that's what I love about it and what I'm passionate about. But I think it's kind of getting right. If you're doing something today, you've got to get that documented, process driven, systemized as much as you can, then hand that off to somebody else, which is going to give you that time back to then build the next layer and repeat that and then build the next layer and the next layer. I think that's absolutely key as long as for as long as you're involved in the day-to-day nitty-gritty, you're never going to get above that and be able to scale up the business. And then it's kind of that balance. You know, I'll always say to the guys, like, if something's broken or you can't figure out where it's broken, what you need to do, that's kind of where I fit in. So even if they kind of know what the process is, but they can't quite figure it out, that's what I'm saying, guys, right, get me in because those are the, you know, those are the kind of the huddles of the meetings I want to have because I would hopefully quite quickly be able to figure that out, take it away, fix it, get the process in and hand that back in something they can then move forward with. So it's all these little building rocks that you're, you're trying to build upon, but it's then being able to get the, the structure in behind that. And ultimately, I suppose the last point on it is I've always tried, certainly in recent years, to recruit recruit ahead of what we think the growth, what we think the growth trend is going to be. So, and that's a bit risky in the sense of, you know, with our two interior designers, when we brought those in, we really needed one at the time, but the two, out of the ones we interviewed, two were really good. So we thought, right, well, well, let's have two and let's build the volume. So I'm always a, a believer of if we put the resource in and we've got the right people, we'll find a way of getting the sales on to then bring us up to that. And it enables us to scale faster where if we're trying to scale with reduced resource, we're never going to be able to realize our full potential. I would much rather have it the other way and be a little bit over-resourced and bring the revenue level or the sales rate up to where it needs to be to satisfy that. And that's kind of maybe a, a personal driver to me. That's what pulls me along. Think right, we've we've got to get to that point because if we don't, then I've not got a job for somebody. So yeah, you got payroll to make. So yeah. obviously, you got to get the, the revenue and the sales in there. I love it. Yeah. You know, there there's a couple things that we can obviously keep diving into. I think the way you described all that was awesome, and it, it's something I think a lot of entrepreneurs I think have a hard time because they're so in the day to day. Hearing that could be inspirational enough to you know start hopefully giving them a, the ability to step back and, and review you know with the announcement of your guys's recent acquisition i would love mm-hmm. to know 
around the question of acquisitions in general. How do you guys get, obviously you're performing at a volume of revenue that's way higher than when obviously you started five years ago or six years ago. But yeah. when it comes to acquisition pieces, obviously there's there's a multiple applied to the price, there's revenue driven, like there's a lot of numbers and math and and kind of valuation stuff that goes behind it. So, yeah. you know, when when do you know when you're ready for an acquisition? Because obviously you can grow naturally and scale mm -hmm. as a natural entity, but yeah. adding that absorption piece obviously adds a lot to it. So kind of when do you decide to acquire or just continue to grow in scale naturally? I think it probably depends on, well, it depends on where you are in the journey. I suppose it's determining what that journey is going to be. So if we take, I always have to work these numbers backwards. So if you take 2022 for us, so we have financial years, always calendar year, because I always have to have it January to December a bit OCD like that. So our 22, 2022 financial year, we we did just over 16 million in, in revenue across the group, across our different services. And 2022 was pretty much a, a year of no acquisitions really for us. We did we did our first acquisition as a as a group business October 2022. So prior to that, our growth was was purely organic. And that acquisition was on our legal side of the business. So our legal firm that we started in 2020, we'd grown to 12 people and two offices. So the acquisition doubled our size for, to four offices and 25 people and brought us some more experience into the business. So, so 2022, 16 million organic growth. We'd been two to three X in a year. So a year prior to that, we were about 7 million in terms of revenue. And year before that, we were in 2 million in terms of revenue. So for me, it was kind of, how do we maintain, you know, between a two and three X revenue growth year on year organically? So we probably could have squeezed double, double growth this year from 16 to just over 30 million. Our bow budget this year is, is just over 30 million, but to continue that over the next, you know, three to five years, acquisition has to start and become a part of that. If you want to keep that pace up, if you don't want to keep up a two or three X pace, then you know, acquisition doesn't doesn't need to be on the radar. You can keep going on that on that organic growth rate. But also back to with that group structure, we've got our margin is 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 vertically vertically integrated, right? So all of those different services provide mean that we could be relatively cost effective in each of them and build our margin as we go through the services. But it also means that we can cross sell, which actually plays nicely into the acquisition model. So. If you take our recent host, host simple acquisition, 120 managed properties in Liverpool, as soon as we bought that business in, they were using an external provider on interior design. So straight away that bolts into our interior design business. So acquisition also makes sense that when we look at an acquisition, we're not just looking at an acquisition for purely what they do. We're looking at what other services we can bolt in from our, our group offerings that actually makes it more viable. So. The reason for us going down the route of acquisition is, is purely to keep up that, that growth pace. And we've got ambitions really to, we want to be at, you know, hundred plus million in terms of group revenue by the end of 2025. So our acquisitions are to, to drive it along to that. And we want to be at 5,000 properties on the host and stay portfolio by the end of 2025 as well, which is again, where acquisition has to play into that. We think organically we'll get to about two and a half thousand. So those other two and a half thousand units to go on top of that we need to acquire in the form of other management businesses. So that's where the logic comes from, from, from our side. And that's playing into that kind of that medium term plan of hitting those certain objectives that we want to hit. And ultimately when we look at acquisitions for us, we've, 
we've done a couple of different acquisitions. So we did the, the legal business was, which was a full share purchase of that, that business and that entity. We've done a couple of asset purchases of smaller businesses at the early part of this year. And then the horse or simple acquisition was the first one for us in the, in the horse and stay management space, but that will be the primary route or the primary acquisition channel for us going forward. We've got, you know, a number in the pipeline at the moment that are progressing. So hopefully there'll be, there'll be plenty more of that type of news coming out from the horse and stay camp in terms of us acquiring other like for like businesses that'll enable that growth. And ultimately what we're looking for on that front is we, you know, as a brand, we, we're full management service. So it's got to be key that those businesses we're looking to acquire fit into that, that same full management model. You know, again, we're looking for the right type of property. So we only really play in the four star and five star space. So top 25% of the market in terms of property quality. So again, we're looking for portfolios that we can acquire that fit that. And then ultimately we're looking at different models. So, you know, is it a multiple of EBITDA? Is it, you know, X number of pounds per managed contract? When we're looking at an opportunity, we're looking at a number of different metrics to decide on what we see the value of that, that business being, because again, every business is is different. So you're trying to find the right balance and ultimately you're trying to find the right number that works for us and works for that, for that current business owner ultimately. All right, Slick Talkers, now for another dynamic sponsored duo of the podcast. I would love to introduce you to Vintory and Safely. About Vintory, we've had Brooke Fotts on the podcast, who is a founder, multiple times, and him and his team know numbers. They know data and they know marketing. They know how to help property managers just like you scale and grow their business by adding more inventory, aka more homes, into your rental program that drive the bottom line. For all of you listeners that want to learn how to scale and grow your inventory, you can get a free digital copy of Brooke's book called From Zero to 500 Properties in Five Years. And for an added bonus, if you would do a demo of the Vintory platform, you'll get a $50 gift card to Amazon. Now that's a sick deal. And now to touch on our friends at Safely.com. Safely.com helps property managers just like you and I protecting the homes that they manage from structural damage to content damage and of course bodily injury. This means plates, linens, cups, couches, tables, curtains, walls, and of course your guests themselves are protected. And this helps you by scaling your company in order to ensure that you are retaining owners and inventory in your program. If anything is broken or if anyone is hurt, you are able to make a claim through Safely and within three business days you can get in instantly paid out to replace any items and settle any claims that happen on site without having to deduct from your owner's payouts. That's why I call these guys the dynamic sponsor duo. And thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Check out their offers in the show notes and back to the episode. Definitely. And forgive me for not going into the details of the announcement this, this week, but you know, do you, when the host so simple one, let's, let's use that as an example. If you're, if you're able to, do you, do you approach it just as the contracts or you end up, is it like an aqua hire as well, where you absorb the the founders of the team and other things yeah. like that and kind of the, the liabilities with them or yeah, just yeah. kind of maybe walk me through. Yeah. So that, that acquisition is full acquisition. So, you know, full entire share purchase of that, that existing entity. So contracts, the people, you know, assets, liabilities. So every, everything that comes with it, you know, the two founders in that business, John Katie, you know, young couple built a fantastic business from they built they started that business in in college and and the, those guys are you know still sub 30 at the moment so and they're, they're going to stay with us the next couple of years as well so for me 
that acquisition brings brings with it two entrepreneurs that know how to how to grow a short-term rental management business, which is a difficult thing to do. They're, they were running it full management within house housekeeping team, same as what our philosophy is in-house maintenance team. So, you know, ultimately if you, you put the two businesses together, we were so aligned on so many different aspects of it. It was a great fit for us and re geographically, it was a really good fit for us in terms of the, how England is built between, you know, East coast to West coast and England is like three hour drive, right? So it's, it's not very wide. So. With us being focused mainly on the Northeast and those guys in the Northwest, it enabled us to kind of join the two areas up and, and give us breadth of coverage across the North of England, which was positive as well. And as I say, with Joe and Katie staying on, we've got those guys plus all of the existing team to bring into to our business, which will just give us another platform for, for growth. Cause ultimately, you know, th those guys, you know, even over and above us probably had even more resource in a hundred property business than what we would have had. So we've got resource there that will enable us to you know, pretty much trip, treble that portfolio from hundred to 300 in Liverpool, hopefully pretty quickly with now, you know, with how we're kind of marketing budgets and process and systems behind it, hopefully we'll be able to start and move, move the needle and actually then grow those businesses organically. So what we're looking for is if we can acquire a management business, a certain area, we then want to scale that business up with, you know, with our knowledge and our spending power, et cetera. Wow. And I, I cause I, I, I don't get to talk to entrepreneurs like you often. I get to talk to a lot of cool people, obviously, but to get to this scale, and that's no dig to any of past guests. So if you're a past guest, <laughs> this episode, don't don't think I'm coming at you. But you know, this is such a it's such a different way of thinking because so often we're told, you know, be niche, go down, just do what works. Don't don't expand into other things or other verticals, and just put your head down and grind and build out that one thing that makes makes it all you know whatever worth it. But you're, you're able to, to then acquire a company and immediately have a profitable impact based off of the services and other brands and businesses inside the group that day one, they're already turning a bigger profit, hopefully, than, than when the day you acquired them the day before. So yeah. that's, to me, is just so, you know, 30, that's like 30,000 foot view versus like <laughs> the 3,000 foot view. And, and so, you know, going into... A kind of a question I wanted to save towards the end. And I, and I told you every guest leaves a question for the next guest. And yep. I normally save this for the end, but I think this applies perfectly for what you and I have talked about on stage mm -hmm. at scale and yep. how this question was phrased. So if you're okay with it, I'm going to kind of hit you with the fast yeah, one. Yeah, go right? for it. Yep. All right. So this one is from Travers, who manages about 50 vacation rentals in Nashville. Okay. And he wanted to know, he said, what do you think the future of this industry looks like? And how do you play, or sorry, how do you plan to be successful in that future that you see? And this kind of goes in that conversation was the five year, you yeah. know, the five, next five years of short-term rentals that we get to have with Steve Davis. So we'd love yeah. to know kind of where do you guys see yourself, you know, taking this industry, especially in Europe? Yeah. So I think for me, the, the key bit on that, where I see it going is, is the is the consolidation we'll continue to see consolidation in the market so if you take that the uk market we've, we've seen it in the U, in the us as well with you know likes of vacasa you know buying up property managers i think we'll continue to see that consolidation because it, it seems to get tougher for property managers to to actually scale and i think it seems like there are fewer that really truly want to scale to to kind of huge volumes so I think we'll continue to see that consolidation, but I think one of the, 
one of the key things we see in the industry is that there's lots of fragmentation and then that kind of come, plays back to our model. So, you know, if you take the standard process, if, one, some, if an investor's buying a vacation rental, they got to go and go see a realtor and buy that property, right? Then they need to speak to a property manager like, like us or the Casa or whoever it is to say, right, I've got this property. Can you tell me how it's going to perform? Then, then they potentially need to find someone if, if, if it's not already in a state that it can be let, then they need to find someone to refurbish it, someone to design it back to then, do they have to then find a housekeeper maintenance? So as a marketplace, it, it's a really fragmented journey for a, a property owner to go through. So that's where, you know, I, I do believe in, in that kind of end to end solution is what will pave the way for us over the, over the coming years and, and us, our will to want to be able to do that. You know, I think one thing we talked about on stage, I, I see and we hear at conferences and across the industry about the next piece of technology, the next best PMS, the next best, you know, pricing tool, you know, what AI is going to do to customer service. There's, there's loads of that stuff that's going to enhance process, enhance margins, enhance customer service, but then also it comes back down to the people. And the one bit that I believe we miss all of the time and we don't talk enough about is what we're doing around housekeeping and and linen and maintaining these properties because those are the ones that if anything are going to stop the growth of our industry because we haven't got a housekeeper to clean the property then we can't operate and i see a huge gap in our industry we've got again technology solutions out there trying to bridge some of this gap between on the ground housekeeping supply and, and property managers but no one's truly done anything around those on the ground services and actually trying to to consolidate and manage those on the ground services because that's the key to to growth in the industry or growth for a from a property management point of view is being able to deliver that. So I see that as our kind of USP over the coming years is we want to continue to do that. So we look at our current model, you know, we employ over 175 housekeepers directly, like they're on our payroll paid by us on a weekly basis. They, you know, we will continue to scale that. We have two people who all they do all day every day is recruit housekeepers. So as we continue to scale our business, that 175 employed will become 250, 500, 1,000. They'll become the, you know, it, it already is the biggest employee department, employee department in our business. But we seem to, you know, as an industry, it seems to get left out all the time. And it's actually the hardest part of, of what we do. The problem is it's not as quite as nice and cool and shiny and glamorous as, as all the rest of it. So I think in terms of that, we will see that consolidation, I think we'll see something happen around that space. We have to, because we're seeing unit count increase, but resource on the ground is getting harder. So we're, we're going to see something happen at that point in time. There's going to come a tipping point. And then also we, as we know, you know, regulation is, is coming our way across the industry and, and, and globally, obviously we've got different spins on it in different regions, but I think it's actually a good thing for the industry. If I'm honest, I think in terms of that regulation leads to more professionalism, higher barrier to entry, which I think actually is better for, for all of us in the space from a professional point of view. If it is a little bit tougher for a individual to list a property on Airbnb, to rent it to a family, I think that actually is a good thing. Or we do need some regulation licensing that says, look, if you want to let this property, well, you've got to have all these in place. You need to apply. We need to approve you. And then you can have that family stay in your property because at the moment that barrier to entry is too low. So we do need to see that shift potentially it stops the growth of the industry a little bit. I don't think it will. I think we'll just see inventory shift to, to professional managers and it will just actually improve the industry as a whole. Hopefully that answers the question. It's a little bit, a little bit all rounded, I guess, but hopefully that answers it.
No, it's definitely, it's definitely an answer and an answer I'm excited about because it wasn't all about the shiny bits and pieces that we all love talking <laughs> about. I, yeah. I'm guilty of it. I know. And I, I want to kind of ask you the question, you know, when it comes to the future of housekeeping and the boots on the ground and the resources yeah. there, what are we missing? Because the one thing to kind of like set this question up for you is the one thing I'm seeing is that housekeeping, maintenance, anyone that really is on the ground outside of like guest service and owners, CEOs, CFOs, all the, all the bigger positions, right? They don't listen to podcasts. They don't mm -hmm. listen to conversations like this. They're not attending VRMA or scale or, you know, it's the owners, the operators, the, from like the, you know, C level up or maybe even a couple director of operations, however that looks like they don't, they're not involved in this conversation. Mm -hmm. They're talked about, they're in the conversation, but they're not talking. They're not an actual full on yeah. voice. And you're right. There's companies I know out there that are trying to represent that, but what's really the missing piece in order to make this a holistic, like all in one service and industry when our housekeeping is such a vital point that, like you said, is going to come to a tipping point. Like as we scale, when they're not part of the conversation, yeah. they're just being talked yeah. about. What, what's yeah. that missing opportunity that we're, we're not and looking at? I think it, come, it comes down to the, the people part of it. Well, really, I think we're, you know, this, does, this is, applies to our sector, I suppose, but other sectors in general. I think with the journey we've been on, certainly the last decade with VC capital, private equity capital pumped into businesses that can, can scale really quickly, I think we get left behind on the people point. We're, we're bothered about, you know, driving revenue as high as possible. We're not, we're not bothered about building sustainable businesses, so to speak. And I think that, I think it stems from that. And I feel like that led us down the path of, we forget about businesses, actually the value and a lot of the businesses, actually the people that are in those businesses and without those people, that business is not no longer sustainable. So, which for me then leads back to the control. So if you take our housekeeping operation, There'd be an argument to say, well, why don't you just outsource that? Well, if I outsource that responsibility, I'm then relying on somebody else to do that recruitment and make sure the quality is right when, when actually I feel like I'm best placed to control that. Like, so, so why would I not control that? Yes, potentially in the beginning, it's harder work, but not, but it isn't. If I actually think through, right, what does it need to be? What does the process need to be? How do I make sure any checks and balances I can put in to mitigate as much risk as possible on? a bad clean or whatever it may be. If I do that work up front, it still makes sense for me to, to kind of hold the cards rather than just giving them to somebody else to hold them kind of to get it off the desk, if you like. And I think that's the fact is it's, you know, we want to get it off the desk too quickly and pass the, the remit onto somebody else, which ultimately then gets rid of the control. So I think it's, it's gotta be a willingness to actually think, right, if we are a hospitality industry and a hospitality business, then we've got to take responsibility for delivering that service. And actually for a lot of our guests, the only touch point they have with us as a business is the, the quality and the standard of that property when they enter it. That's their insight into us as an industry, you know, host and stay as a brand. And ultimately, if I'm not in control of the person that's delivering that, I'm not in control of my brand. I'm not in control of my reputation. I've just outsourced it to somebody else. So that kind of is where I think it stems from. And then ultimately we need to be willing that we all know that recruitment of, of human capital at the moment is not easy, but it's not that it can't be done. I think, again, we're looking too much for what's, you know, I, 
everyone asks all the time, well, is everyone, what, what's your solution on recruitment or finding people? Well, our solution is that we've got, on housekeeping, we've got two people, they're dedicated to it all day, every day. They run adverts, they ring people, they get them in for interview, then get trained, they go out and clean and we just rinse and repeat that process. Some days we might get two people, next day we might get four people, but it's the consistency of delivering the process and not thinking, all right, we didn't get 10 there, so let's ditch that process and look for the next solution that might get us something different. It's that, it's the consistency, it's the boring bit, I suppose, but it's the boring bit that over time get, gets the result ultimately and moves us to, to where we need to be. And I think this isn't, ju- this isn't us in the industry, I think there's, in general, we've kind of, we're always looking for the solution that gets us there the fastest, but it's not necessarily the, the kind of the right solution or the sustainable solution. It's the one that we think, all right, yeah, that'll get us there faster, but does it really get us there faster or does it for a period of time, I guess? Yeah. And it's funny cause you, you mentioned the, the word training, right? Like you got the recruiting, the hiring, the interview, all that stuff, and then the training and then off to the, yep. off to the job. And so often in our industry, this was my experience, at least I got hired at front desk of a Marriott. Yeah. I was on the job for two days. That was my training off to the wolves. You go and you know, yeah. you're, you're off and there's that, yeah. that's really it. So adding the training piece, I, I think is super important. And, you know, going into kind of the scale that you guys are at, do you find that there, cause I, I, I love the control piece. I think having it in house is, is crucial. Where does, I guess the the piece and the connect happen because this is a a job that it's not glamorous it sucks Mm -hmm. you're scrubbing toilets you're on your hands and knees you're on ladders or stools or whatever you're you're doing laundry there's bodily fluids involved sometimes like it's not like all these homes are are perfectly used yeah so you know making sure the right personality is there do you guys have a process for making sure that's, that's, you know, when you're hiring, you're hiring the right person on top of all of that or. Yeah, completely. So again, that's part of that, that interview phase. So when we do those, those phone conversations, so when we get an inquiry in for a housekeeping role, that phone conversation that one of our recruiters has will be, you know, it'll be an honest conversation to say, look, this is what the role actually involves. Cause there's no point in us selling the dream. And then when we get to the reality of it, that not being fulfilled. And then ultimately all we do is, is lose someone that we've spent time on recruiting and training. So we, you know, we'd be honest and open up front and say, look, this is what, this is what the job is. This is what it's going to, going to entail. But we'll also make sure that, you know, we are, we are re- rewarding, right? So again, our housekeepers can earn more money the longer they've been with us. They can earn more money based on if they keep up a good review rating. So they're incentivized to, to do that. You know, they can do different, different shift work as well. So there's lots of variables in it that can incentivize a certain individual to, to go down that route. And also, again, let's not forget that some people, you know, vast majority of people want to come to work. They want to know what time they're starting, what time they're finishing. And when they go home, they're not thinking about that anymore. And, you know, if you take the housekeeper role, that's, that's perfect for somebody that wants to do that even versus someone that might be an office based role. Cause that, actually those guys, once they've left left work for the day, like they are, they're done completely. So that fits a lot of people in terms of what they're looking for. And also in terms of that recruitment piece where we want to make sure that by someone has started with us and they're out doing their first clean, we've actually given them enough opportunities to, to kind of exit the process. So they'll, they'll do the phone interview. They'll come for their face-to-face interview. When they have the face-to-face interview, they'll go on what we call a trial clean where they'll go out with one of our head housekeepers 
they'll get talked through, right? This is what the job will entail. We'll give them some tasks to do. So again, that creates another barrier. Then they'll have their, uh, their kind of online training around Kosh, which is like a, what materials they can and can't use, can't mix, et cetera. So there's a number of different things they have to do before they even go out and do that first proper clean. So we've had a number of exit points that if someone isn't going to show up, then we've hopefully given them enough chances to not show up before we get to that, to that first clean. Cause again, the reality is even those that are employed by us in house, you know, every day we're getting, get, there's going to be guys and girls that decide well, I'm, I'm not going in today. So we've got to make sure we've got enough resource to cover that. Cause that's always going to be an issue. And the same thing that, that, that pool of workers that are typically fit, fit in the profile of, of our, our housekeepers. We know that we're probably about 25, 20 to 25% of those guys we're going to be turning at any point in time because they're going to go and off and find another job that pays similar and is a little bit different. But also we know on that kind of wheel, they're probably going to, some of those are going to come back to us because by the nature of what their working habits are, they go and work different places and then they come back around again. So it's understanding all these different factors and keeping the consistency in it to make sure, look, there's, again, there's no silver bullet. It's about having all these things at play, having the process in place and that monotonous kind of rerunning all the time of the process to, to get the, the desired outcome for us. Yeah. The answer that not everyone probably was expecting or wanting to hear is consistency. So it's, yeah, it's completely. a hard one. It's the yeah. one that it's, you know, the more consistent you are, I, I don't really believe in like the, the 90 day to break a habit rule where it's like, yeah. it takes 90 days to break a habit or start a new one. But I think it just takes consistency beyond the 90 yeah. days in order yeah. to really build that, especially yeah. in business. So um, you can apply, you can of, apply that to sales, right? As well, the same thing. It's, oh, back yeah. to, it's about the activity you got. You've got the consistency of the activity will get the end result. It might not feel like it as you're going through it again, as you we're trying to find that silver bullet answer to get sales on the board, but it's the consistent activity that ultimately then relates to the results. So you're totally right. Exactly. Well, speaking of personalities and the right personality for a housekeeper, I've been wanting to ask you this question. I think I even asked you on our, our pre-chat too. I've been loving the book called Rocket Fuel by Gina Wickman, talking about visionary and integrator. Throughout the episode, you've talked about how you love kind of running around, but also taking stuff that's broken, fixing it, shifting the process, giving it back and letting the team run and continue to build that layer. That to me sounds like a very integrator role, but yeah. you also sound like you have a very big vision with the company. So what would you consider yourself to be a visionary or an integrator? And what one's more dominant? I would just say at, at my core, probably more of an integrator. And certainly that's where I would have said, you know, looking at my kind of my prior roles prior to this business, that's definitely me in terms of getting involved in, right? Where's the problems? Let's fix them pull departments together, pull process together. That's kind of at my core. But what I feel like I've found in terms of when building my own business is having that understanding actually opens up your vision to what the possibilities can be. And I guess mm -hmm. that's where I would have said now I can bring the visionary part in of actually knowing, getting a feeling of what's possible, but also kind of pushing the boundaries of going, well, actually, if we can make this work and integrate that piece, then why are we not doing it this way? Or could we do it that way? Which leads into that vision. So I would have said definitely integrate first, but I think in terms of, you know, any entrepreneur is going to have an element of a vision to them, right? That's, that's exactly why they're, yeah. they're doing what they're doing, but yeah, integrate a core with a, a push towards being more, more visionary as I really, as you get to understand 
what you can do, what can be done, how far you can push things and, and thinking differently about things, I think. I love it. Yeah, I'm opposite visionary at the core with the integrator tendency. Like, oh, I know the vision. Why aren't we just doing these things? So yeah. it's very interesting to see the the overlap there. And now to, to close out this episode, if you had one question to leave the next guests on the podcast without knowing who they are, what their background is, what would that question be? It doesn't have to be business related. It could be personal. It could be funny. It could be serious, all the above. But what would that one question be for the next person? I, I think probably what, what do they see as the as the biggest challenge for for the industry over the next three to five years? Like, what's the what's the one thing that's keeping them up at night in terms of what what's coming at us in the next three or five years from an industry point of view? I love it. Well, it's perfect. And for all the listeners, if they had one link, which they're not, they're going to get everything for <laughs> the show notes. But if they had one place, if they wanted to connect with you and get to like learn more about what you guys are building, what would that one place be that you would send them? probably linkedin i think definitely look me up on linkedin you'll find me pretty easily and, and follow us at sdd smith group or horse and still on linkedin that's kind of our one of our bigger social channels in terms of what we're doing from a business point of view for sure you're like the third maybe fourth person to mention linkedin which oh, is really? like my favorite platform so yeah. i'm thankful that you said that now cool <laughs> i love it for all you slick talkers out there make sure you like and subscribe to everything dale smith and what they're building at the ssde group and host and stay company as they are leading the charge for vacation rental leadership and examples in all of the UK and all of Europe. So thank you, Dale, for being on the show again. It's been such an honor to get to chat with you and hear your story. And I look forward to the day we get to have you on for a second time. Cool. No, thanks for having me, Will. Loved it. Hopefully I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoyed the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week.